You know, we were just up there having fun. I mean, sometimes you, I wouldn't know what I was going to do until I got up there and started doing it and not worrying about making mistakes. And we, we did make our share. We were having a blast. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This is Keith Billick. Welcome to another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I am just getting settled back into uh, podcasting form. I've had a whirlwind couple weeks of banjo goodness, so it, so it's all good. Uh, I did spend all last week at, or I guess it's two weeks ago, that's how much of a whirlwind it was, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina for the annual IBMA World of Bluegrass Convention. I got to see a lot of great music, catch up with some uh, old and new friends, and most importantly, meet a whole bunch of you listeners. Maybe I even uh, picked a tune or two with some of you. So I appreciate everyone coming up and saying hi, uh, who met me at IBMA. Always great to see you. Uh, I did a few interviews while I was there, so those will turn into future episodes. And I also moderated a podcasting panel for the business conference. So not only did I get to meet uh, listeners, I got to meet some fellow podcasters and make a presentation about podcasting. So it was a, a busy week to say the least. And then uh, as soon as I got back, I was back on the road to Great Lakes Music Camp teaching banjo once again to uh, some of you listeners. So it's always great running into you at those kinds of environments too. Great Lakes Music Camp is always a wonderful time and uh, can't recommend it enough. Check it out at greatlakesmusic.org and uh, maybe we'll see you there next year. Now, of course, none of this would be possible if not for my VIP supporters of the show. And today we have two VIP supporters to recognize for their outstanding contributions to the Banjo Kingdom by uh, heading over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and uh, pitching in a few bucks to support the show. Uh, today's VIPs, we have Reeve Thompson, but apparently the show has allowed Reeve to discover a lot of new banjo players who they were not aware of beforehand so i really love hearing that that's part of why i do this show is to get more well-deserved recognition for these talented players so i'm delighted to hear that it's working uh the next vip supporter of the show is andrew ott andrew looks at the podcast as passing of the banjo torch to make sure the history and stories are preserved well you two really know how to talk to a podcaster because that's another key element of doing all this. So uh, I can't thank you enough for your support, Andrew and Reeve. Um, and for the rest of you, please check out patreon.com slash banjo podcast. That's an easy way to throw a few dollars my way to keep this show going and uh, make sure we keep getting to hear from a lot of these banjo heroes of ours. You can also contact the show, Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast at gmail.com or for all of that new Picky Fingers merch, it'll be on the website soon. That's at banjopodcast.com.
Today's featured guest is the great Ben Eldridge. Ben was the longtime banjo player in the groundbreaking band The Seldom Scene, which I kind of view as a uh, missing link band that connects like your Flat and Scruggs types of bands with some of your modern uh, jamgrass bands or the Newgrass Revival type of stuff. They, they had all the hard drive and bluegrass sensibilities but also uh, weren't afraid to get improvisational and maybe a little silly on stage and uh, borrow from a lot of different styles of music. And uh, we're one of the first bands to do all of that. So uh, Ben, as a banjo player, has been highly influential. He has, he has that perfect uh, band member style. He was flashy and hard driving when he needed to be, but also subtle and more tasteful uh, when the song called for that as well. So he's been a highly influential player on a lot of today's modern banjoists. Ben also just released a book called On Banjo, which he co-wrote with uh, another great banjoist, Randy Barrett. And that is all about Ben's career and lots of tablature of his signature tunes. So that's highly recommended. And if you hear us referring to the book uh, within this interview. That's what we're referring to, this brand new book called On Banjo. And one more thing to mention, uh, Ben's wife, Barbara, also participates in this interview. She has been uh, at Ben's side through a lot of these memories that he had with the band. And uh, unfortunately, Ben has been suffering from Parkinson's recently. And uh, so Barbara was a great help in just uh, jogging some memories loose, uh, some of which go back uh, quite a few years. So um, thank you both Ben and Barbara for the time and hospitality and for sharing all these stories that I'm sure you will all enjoy. So here it is, my interview with Ben Eldridge with special guest Barbara Eldridge. Like I said, you've done a lot of interviews, so I think a lot of people out there who are listening, who are fans of yours, might be familiar for the most part with who you are and what you've done. And I know you've told stories about hearing Foggy Mountain Breakdown and and that inspiring you to play the banjo. Made me crazy. Yeah. I, I guess I'm what I'm wanting to know is uh, what do you think it was about that that made you so crazy? Because you were already playing guitar, is that right? That's correct, yeah. I was. I started playing guitar when I was about eight or nine years old or something like that, I think. Um, but uh, the um, one of the stations in, in Richmond where I grew up, mm. WXGI, um, Featured uh, featured Foggy Mountain Breakdown as a lead into their their uh, one of their programs. Okay, and that's where I heard and it, literally I got what in the world is that? Was that something that your parents so were listening good. to, and that's why you kept hearing it? Uh, one no, one my parents my parents didn't like country music. Mm. Uh, I'll tell tell the story about my dad. <laughs> Last, he said, son, buying you that banjo was the biggest GD mistake I ever made. <laughs> that thing is nothing but a, 
cacophony of harsh and unpleasant sounds. Wow, that's quite a poetic way of... Yeah, you could tell he loved it. <laughs> he thought about that one for a while, Yeah, I he think. did, yeah. <laughs> you were talking about the cacophony of harsh and unpleasant sounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. That's, and despite all that, you managed to I kept persevere. going. I kept going. I ignored it. But what attracted you about it? Because you were already a guitar player, and you must have made up your mind to, to switch at some point. Well, like I said, when I heard, you know, when I heard Earl play, I went, who in the world, what is that? Uh -huh. And when I finally found out what it was, uh, I was, you know, I, it just knocked me out. It completely knocked me out. In the book, he talks about, on the On Banjo book that has come out, he talks about, uh, he, I forget, he was listening to another song, and I can't remember what it was, but he heard this other instrument in the background that he did, had never heard before, and it was a banjo. Hmm. And yeah. that's, that's what, and it may have been Foggy Mountain Breakdown being played then. That was, that was what hooked me, Foggy Mountain Breakdown, way back when. And you were growing up in Richmond, is that right? In Richmond, I grew up in Richmond, right. Now, someone filled you in on what it was? Did you have any other people around you who actually participated in that kind of music for you to interact with, or were you just kind of on your own at that I, There was a fellow named Bing uh, Colonery that lived in Richmond, and I had gone, I had gone down to Walter D. Moses, which is where we bought the banjo in the first, I, I, we had a banjo, mm -hmm. and I was asking them, did they know anybody else that played, you know? Yeah. And he gave me this fellow's phone number, which I, being colonial, which I uh, called, mm -hmm. went home and called him. And he came out to my house uh, and showed me a couple of just real simple licks on the banjo, which, you know, I was playing them about that fast. Yeah. So, and I just kept on working at it. I loved it. I, I just couldn't leave it alone. I was almost addicted to it. How old were you at that time? I was still in high school. Okay. I was 15 probably, or 16, in, probably in the ninth grade, tenth okay. grade, something like that. Because uh, I know uh, we play, I played at the, the assembly. Well, I, I went to a pretty big junior high school mm -hmm. down in Richmond. And um, in fact, I played in the, with the, we had a Friday assembly thing because people would, you know, students would do stuff. So a fellow named uh, Ed Robinson and myself played, I think we played Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Okay. And the school, they went nuts. Almost the same effect on them as hearing yeah, it, it had, had on me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. I mean, I actually could play a pretty steady role by then. And so that was, that was my early, my early years start. And uh, so I, I have a feeling I know what the answer is, but what were the, who were the players that you were listening to and absorbing at that Alan point? Alan Shelton. Alan Shelton. Alan Shelton was one of them. I'd gotten a record by uh, a, a record called a, a Crazy Banjo Medley mm. by Hack Johnson and the Tennesseans and had Alan Shelton playing the banjo.
and he played little bits of, of a lot of a bunch of jazz tunes and, and stuff. And so and I had a copy of that, and I listened to that. I about wore that out because trying to figure out what he was doing, and I figured out some of it. Do you think that appealed to you to have the the jazzier stuff? Whether it was, I know he did like five foot two eyes of blue and yeah. um, whatever the um, oh, Alan? Limehouse Blues and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, he did a lot of that. He he was just a great player. Yeah, absolutely wonderful player. Are you able to describe? what you got from uh, listening to him? Uh, did you incorporate a lot of that into your own playing? Uh, as much as I as much as I could, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. I mean, I... How would you compare someone like his playing to maybe Earl Scruggs, you know, that who you had originally heard with that Foggy Mountain? Well, right I there? guess Earl was mainly playing uh, things that they, that the Flatt and Scruggs did. And... Alan was doing a lot of, you know, jazz stuff, and, yeah. and but he, I mean, he was just a wonderful player. I got to meet him one time, and uh, he's just an, also just as nice as he could be too. I guess he's been he's been gone for, for what twenty or thirty years. I suspect I'm not sure. Yeah, he was, I, I never uh, had a chance to see him play. Oh, so, yeah, he was wonderful. It really was. Always a big smile on his face from what I can yeah. tell. Every photo of him. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did have a big, big smile. But uh, just just a great, great player. I, I love this picking. Now, you keep referring to the fact that he played different kinds of things. Were you also a fan of a lot of different music other than just uh, like the country music channel? So well, is, is that something that kind of appealed to you because of that? Because of, because of your listening habits? Probably because of my listening habits. Yeah. He, I think Alan, when I first heard him, he was playing with Hack Johnson and the Tennesseans, which I've never heard of since. But uh, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. Um, I, but I used to used to go down to the we the bar the Old Dominion Bar Dance took place on Saturday nights. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd get my mom to, to take me and a couple of the guys in the neighborhood down there, and we we do the to, to the WRVA WRVA Theater, which was uh, in downtown Richmond. Okay. And uh, the the interesting thing I, I always thought about those days were that the the Carter sisters. Helen June, Anita, Mother Maybell were on the Old Dominion Barn Dance. They lived about a good long, one or two blocks from where I where I lived. No kidding. Yeah. And yeah. you already knew that, or yeah, that was no, just a coincidence. Uh, well, well, I guess we didn't know it till we till we saw their big Cadillac sitting there. That's <laughs> uh, It was the yeah. only Cadillac in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, 
But yeah, and and June would come out and get us. There were two shows though for the Old Dominion Barn Dance on Saturday night, seven thirty and nine thirty mm-hmm. and something like that. I, um, we would we would go back. We would go back. Maurice, you know, my mother would take us down on a streetcar back. We had streetcars mm-hmm. in Richmond back then. Wow. This was and we, Ben and his friend Maurice Dooling. Maurice Dooling. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. Anyway, we, we got to meet a lot of these musicians because between shows, when we'd go around the back to the stage door, Maurice and I. Well, my mom would go with us too. Mm-hmm. And um, we, June would come out and get us, get me and Maurice. And my mother would be... She would she would be back on the street. She didn't really like country she or bluegrass, like but she out. put up with it. So she waited outside while they went in and let the girls entertain them, the boys. And uh, and but she she was very good about it, you know, taking him to the shows. And, yeah, so yeah. That she, she was knew, supportive, she, even if she, she knew, wasn't personally yeah, she interested. She knew yeah. that's what he liked, and so she went along with it. But he t- he told a story one time that. Well, when when she would um, when he would see her after not seeing her for a few weeks, she'd say, "Son, where'd you play your guitar this week?" She never talked about the banjo. I guess maybe the banjo wasn't (laughs) her thing. She liked the guitar, but not the banjo so much. And you think it was like she would intentionally not ask about it just because it maybe annoyed her a bit or something like that. I'm pretty sure it annoyed her. Yeah. <laughs> it would have annoyed me, I think. I think most of the listeners pro- can probably relate to living with people who have to hear them learning the banjo. Oh, I think we, that's a pretty common experience. <laughs> it, yeah. I, I it's better that. than a drum set, though. Yeah, there you go. It could be worse, everyone. Yeah, it could be worse. Could be so worse. who all, do, do you have any specific memories of, of meeting people who you, I, you know, you're all, you already talked about the the Carter sisters, but... Uh, do you have a memory of of meeting anyone who was particularly special or influential on you? Earl, Earl came there too. Yeah, wow. Yeah, uh, Lester and Earl were were there. I don't remember exactly when, but they used to have a, a show after the after the stage show of the barn dance. Hmm. Uh, they would have a show up in the studio, and we we Maurice and I managed to. Uh, Somehow, I don't know how we got up there in the studio with them, but we did. And, and they had a little 15-minute, 20-minute, half-hour show, whatever it was. Huh. They didn't uh, have security back in those days. Yeah. But it was pretty clear you weren't really supposed to be up there, though? That was No, I think I think it was okay that we were up there. Okay. It didn't seem to bother anybody. Yeah. And listening to them play, being right there. I mean, I was as far from Earl most of the time as I am from you, uh-huh. but... Yeah, oh my young God. banjo player's dream come true. Oh probably. man, I tell you what, that was it was incredible. And then the same thing with Don Reno and Red Smiley. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. Great. I love, I've always loved Don's playing too. Yeah, there who I cut my teeth on, I suppose, mm-hmm. when I had teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, what kind of things were you? That sounds like you had a lot of uh, inspiring uh, things to experience there. But when when it came to your own practicing, what were you mostly working on? Oh my goodness! Uh, 
I don't. I was just playing. Mm-hmm. I, um, I don't know that I had anything organized. Just you know, I'd play a record over and over again and play along with it, see if I could figure out what they were doing. Learning by ear for the most part. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely learning by ear. And how long before you had? I mean, I, I know you said you had your friend who played at the school assembly with you. Yeah. How long was it before you actually got to experience? Uh, jam sessions or maybe even forming a band? Oh, probably. Gosh, I don't, I'm not sure. But I think probably when I got to college. And did you feel equipped to, to do that? Because I know for a lot of people, when you finally get into a group setting, it's a lot different than just playing it by is. yourself in your room. It and is. Like, how did that go for you? Well, it went pretty well. The, uh, one of the, one of the things that we, uh, experience was i got to play a little bit with bill clifton part just at a couple of parties okay uh, at uva and you know weekend stuff he was a fellow student there yeah he was uh, he was working on his master's degree of some sort and i was like i I mean i was still an undergraduate yeah was there a point that you started to hear your own playing develop to the point where you think you had a, a more personal style that was more unique to you rather than just copying Alan Shelton or yeah, Earl that's, Scruggs? That's or, mainly what I was doing, trying to do. I, I'm not so sure I did a very good job of it. <laughs> well, I think I think you did, uh, but I would love to hear, I mean, that's what I love to focus on in some of these interviews is the what makes up your style. So as much as you feel like talking about the types of things that you think are um, characteristic of your playing, uh, I would love to hear about all of that. Gosh, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I just, I just played, and, and that was that was pretty much it. I just, you know, just started pl- playing my own stuff without without any kind of goal in mind, just playing for fun. Hmm. I don't know what his style was, but. I've heard people say that they liked the little stuff that he did in the background. It's the background music, the little fills that he did on the banjo, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the word melodic came up a lot in his playing. Um, people really liked where he put things in and where he didn't put things in, you know. He knew when to absolutely when to add stuff and when not to. The subtlety of his playing. I'd agree with that. Does that ring true to you as something that you you were focusing on quite a bit? I guess somewhat. Um, I'm one of these people. I'd, I'd uh, cheat and rob licks. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. If it makes yeah. you feel any better. <laughs> yeah, but uh, another real good banjo player for a friend of mine at UVA is a guy named Paul Kraft. He he wrote some great stuff. So I wrote Midnight Flyer. Oh, really? Um, okay. Well, it's I don't, me just again, a, Margaret. Yeah, it's me again. Keep me the from, Ray Stevens song. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, oh, wow. and, wrote and he also did Keep Me from Blowing Away that Linda Ronstadt recorded. Okay. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. He was he was a songwriter and he was also a music producer in Nashville for many years. Okay. But he started off playing banjo with. Was it Jimmy Martin? Yeah. Was that his first band? Uh, yeah, I think it was. He came to Ben at UVA and asked Ben to teach him a few licks 
on the banjo. Ben went with him to buy his first guitar. I did. Okay. And after it was over, Paul <laughs> comes back to Ben and starts showing Ben some licks. And he had uh, gotten in a band, the band with Jimmy Martin. That was his first gig. So you're helping each other out, more or less. Yeah, yeah. So to me, a huge element of your style, uh, you know, we can definitely talk about the the backup and the approach to maybe some of the more um, like sensitive sounding songs, but you have a melodic style that seems, it seems to almost blend melodic style and scrug style. It still has a lot of drive to the oh. playing, which is something that often melodic style people lose a lot of, but people such as yourself, Alan Mundy is very good at oh, it. He's, um, oh, he's one of my all-time favorite banjo players. Right. And guy and people. He's a wonderful guy. He sure is. He really is. Yep. Haven't seen him for years, but by golly, he used to be at our way a lot. A, a good guy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just able to see him a week or two ago. He taught. Really? He still teaches at camps. Uh, so there was a camp up in my area that I uh, that oh, I participated. In. That's great. That uh, well, if you ever see him again, tell him I said hello. Yeah, because it's been years since I since I've seen him. Yeah, I'll drop him a note. Yeah, do that. He still sounds great. He's still playing. He performs. You know, there's always the faculty concerts for the camps. Oh, and he 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 had some impossible stuff that he did. Mm -hmm. Probably still does. I don't know. He's he's very jazzy now. He does a lot of that like chord melody approach. Yeah. He focuses a lot on that, but you know he'll still do he'll still do bluegrass songs and yeah, he sounds as good it. as ever. He can do it. His his tone is wonderful. And yeah, he still knows what to do. No doubt what about it. What kind of banjo is he playing? He still he still has a stelling. He still has a stelling. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. I, I want to say it's a crusader now. He used to always play that staghorn. Staghorn, yeah. Um, so I think he's moved models, but yeah, it's still that styling. All right. Um, I think I've heard you describe your playing as uh, like the waterfall licks. D does that ring a bell as something you might have said? Or... <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, those, those melodic yeah. kind of rolling patterns. Yeah, I guess I would sneak those in <laughs> whenever I could. Nobody got mad at me for doing it. No, I think people like them. <laughs> and who did you steal those from? Did you steal those from someone? No, or they... I, oh, I'd heard them. I mean, uh, here, mandolin players use those kinds of things on occasion. So, so when you were learning by ear. Uh, it sounds like maybe you weren't even just focused on other banjoists. Were you were you learning things by ear from mandolin players and fiddlers? Yeah, and, yeah I was. Uh, I was. Any unusual sources that you remember for that? Was there a fiddler that you worked a lot off of or, or anything like I that? I can't. Right today, I can't. I don't remember who I would listen to uh, for stuff like that. Yeah, but that might be where it came from. It could be. All right. 
Is it jumping too far ahead to talk about the Seldom scene now? I, I know no, it. No, no, not at all. All right. Uh, I want to talk about adding John Duffy to the group because I, one of the stories that I really enjoy hearing about was the fact that he was kind of a a, a level above where the rest of you thought you were at. And it was, yeah. it was kind of a big deal that he it uh, agreed to play with you. Yeah, it was it was fun. I, I had gotten I'd gotten to know John pretty well before I ever played any music with him. Because mm -hmm. we were, uh, I was teaching banjo, I was doing banjo lessons at Arlington Music mm -hmm. in Arlington, Virginia. And John's repair shop was right in that same area of the store, down in the basement. And I had, I had students coming in on one side of the hall and John on the other side of the hall. So when the when the students, uh, when I didn't have a student, but maybe had to stay there because of, uh, I was having a, a student coming in a little later or something. Yeah, like. it didn't make sense to go anywhere. Yeah. Right, right. So, and so we, I, on those times when I was sort of down there by myself, I would go over and start shooting the breeze with John. Yeah. And got to know him pretty well, pretty quickly. Yeah. And that was a big deal. I, when I remember going. I yak with John John Duffy tonight. We had a great time. He invited me over to his house to have a couple of drinks, <laughs> which I did. Yeah, you don't have to publish that. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to take but, it out unless you want me to. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't care. I don't care. Now, was he already playing with the country gentleman at that? He time? He had retired. Mm -hmm. I think he he retired. And he and he had his repair shop. You know, he went he went full time working on instruments and you know setting up stuff, setting up instruments. And let me ask you this: I've heard a rumor that he was possibly the world's worst repairman. Is that uh, any truth to that? He always he always fixed anything I needed. Him to oh, fix. <laughs> properly? Okay. Well, I, don't I don't know where I, I heard that, but I don't know. Someone told me that he uh, he was not a recommended. Uh, no, I thought he was a pretty good okay. re repairman. Uh, he he worked on my guitars. He might, have, he might have put a screw in where most other repair people wouldn't have put a screw in. Okay. I'll just say that. Maybe just a little that, crude uh, <laughs> by comparison or something. Probably. Okay. A little bit. Well, oh, he did good work for me. See that drink a holder that's clipped to that lamp? That's one of John's concoctions oh, this little invention yes that that's was, pretty cool he, he uh, made that to go on to hold his drinks on his mic stand on a mic stand uh-huh oh that makes perfect sense yeah yeah and for you know this this maybe isn't the best podcast content of course <laughs> but there's a um one of these spring clamps that people usually use to hold like a broom to the wall or something like that and uh <laughs> it's rigged up with like a, a window drink holder from a car. And uh, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what it's, it is. It's funny. It's and a it's, plastic drink and holder. And now it's on a lamp, but it could just as easily be on a, on a and mic And it's stand. now on the Seldom Scenes logo on their, they've... Uh, Th this yes, drink holder is? Yes, they've got it on their logo now for new t-shirts. Oh, how uh, funny. Stickers <laughs> for banjo cases and guitar cases. So you, you'll probably see it at a festival at some point. They should probably uh, mass produce those things yeah. for, for merch. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. That would be cool. 
Hey folks, Keith here, just taking a quick break from the episode, but I'll be right back with the rest of it. I did just want to mention that if you are looking to have your dream banjo built, or if you just need some of the top quality components to add to a project or an existing banjo, I couldn't recommend anyone more than Sullivan Banjos. Sullivan has been one of the top names in the banjo industry for decades. And Eric Sullivan down in Alabama brings all that experience and adds his personal customized touch to make sure that you are getting the banjo of your dreams. Whether you are looking for a tried and true traditional design, or if you want to get a bit more uh, imaginative, chances are if you can dream it, Eric can build it. I know that's true because I've been playing my own Sullivan custom banjo since 2004. So give Eric Sullivan at Sullivan Banjos a call at 502-365-5022. Visit them on the web at sullivanbanjo.com or email at sullivanbanjo at gmail.com. Now, once you have that Sullivan Banjo in your hands, the best way to learn it that I recommend is with Peghead Nation's online streaming video courses. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and many other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots music. Check out some of these banjo classes that they offer. Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. All of these courses are going to include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tablature, play-along tracks, and plenty of songs to play along with. Now the best part is that just for being a Picky Fingers listener, you are going to get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout. Once again, pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS to get your first month free. And folks, another sponsor of the show and one of my favorite places on earth is Elderly Instruments up in Lansing, Michigan. Now, I worked there for about 10 years and it's still where I go for all my banjo, guitar, and any other string instrument needs. So that should really tell you something. Elderly has been family owned since 1972 and has grown to become the world's most trusted source for new used and vintage fretted instruments. So whether you are looking for your first beginner instrument or that hard to find vintage collectible, Elderly is going to have that and they are also going to back it up with the best customer service in the business. So head over to elderly.com to see their full inventory online. They ship worldwide by the way. Or give them a call at 517-372-7880. So something that always strikes me about the seldom scene is just, you know, I, I was never able to see you perform with them or, or see the original lineup, but it really comes through on a lot of the live recordings, how much fun you guys were having. All right, Porky, do it again. This is what you get for trying to play them fancy licks. <laughs> what is that? <laughs>
the way J.D. Crow played it. I didn't hear your G run there. I'm a hickory in love, I know I'll never stop. I got a long, long way to climb for me to tap. But if I do, you guess you're gonna have it, babe. Then I'll love number one, you love a hickory. Then I'll love number one, you love a hickory. We we were we were having a blast, and yeah, always a lot of jokes and humor involved with that too. Yeah, and most of, most of that was uh, inspired by Duff. Yeah, he 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 was a no holds barred guy kind of guy. He felt like if he felt like dropping one, he'd drop it. You no matter how tasteless it may have been. What do you think, Bob? But Ben also fed John lines yeah. that got John to to respond and do some crazy things on stage. So it wasn't just John Duffy coming up with things. It was I think it, was, I think it was a combination of Ben and John. Mm-hmm. But um, Mike Aldridge also had a a sense of humor, so yeah, he, he was part of that too. Do you remember an example of a time that you kind of egged him on a bit or, or had a goal of like ma- making him do something silly or, or how that would maybe usually go? I, I can't think of anything specific right right off the top of my head I don't head know if here. it was but Ben's it, idea, but he did something with a mop with Bill Monroe, oh, wasn't it? At a yeah, concert? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with that, but uh, he... he I forget we were we were up in New Jersey playing, and Monroe, they were doing some kind of gospel song right at the end of the show. John got a broom while the thing was going on, or he was, was kind of acting like the maid, mopping behind I, Bill Monroe. Wow, <laughs> Monroe loved he, Monroe loved him. I mean, they used to they used to mess with each other. How, yeah. Yeah. I was always scared of him. I never, I never messed with uh, Mr. Monroe, but I, I would talk to him when we were sort of stuck backstage. No, doing that during a gospel set seems like the kind of thing that you'd <laughs> expect him to throw you off the stage or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's probably because they were both uh, mandolin players, maybe, and John looked up to Bill. Yeah, it had something to do with that, I guess. That's why they got along. Just had a bit of a kinship. For yeah. yeah, they did. Okay. They, they, they liked each other. <laughs> Good mm-hmm. thing, I guess. You never, yeah. Yeah. I guess another thing that I'm wondering is that I think a lot of bluegrass, particularly the more straight-ahead traditional type of bluegrass, gets a reputation for being a little buttoned up and maybe closed-minded. And I'm wondering if you guys acting silly and having fun was that ever seen as like disrespectful to to the music or did you ever experience anyone i hope not hmm. i i don't i don't know there's probably people out there that didn't like what what uh, john did mm-hmm. there were but, some people that didn't care for john um but most people did most people really liked his singing and um Sometimes his antics on stage would get on some people's nerves, but huh. most people liked it, you know. 
And he all, he he also had some some like funny clothes that he would wear. I've seen photos of him wearing his like jogging suit or um <laughs> I, I don't even remember what else, but he didn't always dress that way. In the early days, he dressed in sort of normal clothes, you know. The band never really other than the first week that the seldom seen formed, that was before I even knew who they were. There's one picture of them where they were all dressed alike, but that stopped real quick. They decided they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna own a bus, and they weren't gonna all dress alike. You know, they were just yeah. gonna show up at the gigs their own way, meet there, and be dressed the way they normally dress. But John. Years later, had a friend, uh, Sean Nice, that introduced him to these. I don't know what kind of pants they were, but they were they were like balloon pants or something. They were real baggy and colorful. Yeah, like weird patterns. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And John had put on a little bit of weight, so maybe he felt more comfortable, you know, in those pants. But he really got into those for uh-huh. for a long time. How funny. Yeah. And you, and you think it was just, uh, I guess he just didn't care or that was his one of his ways of expressing himself or something like that? Both of those. Yeah. He, okay. Mainly he didn't care. He just did, you know, he would wear those pants with, and he always got into these bowling shirts. They, call, they look like oh, shirts right. that a doctor would wear that have the little tucks down the front. Uh-huh. And he would buy them. And they, if they were too big, he did his own alterations. He had his own sewing machine. His wife didn't do any of that. He did his own ironing and his own, uh, uh, you know, yeah. alterations of his clothing. Great. <laughs> he was multi-talented. Do you have any advice? So so th- something that I've found pretty common in uh, like groups that I've been involved with is you could be in, in a living room rehearsing and be great buddies and be laughing up a storm and then as soon as you get up on stage everyone's frozen and <laughs> and doesn't have anything to do how do you how do you make that type of fun translate to a, a performance setting is is there is there a trick to that beats me <laughs> honestly it beats me uh, i i know i would sometimes join in to, with john's silliness uh-huh but uh I never was comfortable doing that. No. But I'd do it anyway. I think John ta- taught the rest of the guys not to, if you messed up, it was okay. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. You know, if we'll just make kind of, uh, what is it? You can make lemonade out of lemons or something. <laughs> I forget. But, you know, just just go, if, if you make a mistake, just make it the best mistake you've ever made, you know? <laughs> And um, so they would always go on stage. They would sort of have a set list, but they wouldn't necessarily follow it. They would start off with the one song sort of as a practice song. And then once they got to the second and third song, they were usually rolling by then. Okay. And you Isn't could right, just kind of go with the energy and the mood of, the, of whatever the gig was at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Along those same lines of making mistakes and turning mistakes into maybe maybe not as mistaken it sounds like you all improvised a lot too is that right we, we weren't scared to let me put it that way mm-hmm. we would yeah we would do i don't know whether we did it a lot but we did it 
but at least individually, like with your solos and stuff like that. Oh, those, yeah. Um, wing it. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. And we try stuff and and if we if we did good, oh, it didn't, didn't matter. If we did something John like, he'd go, mm -hmm, who'd you steal that from? <laughs> so, so if you did something good, he wouldn't even give you credit for it. Oh, uh, he, but, well, he would. He <laughs> would, but that's that strange kind of credit. <laughs> right. Uh, did did you have an approach for for improvising on banjo for for solos, even on just like a regular bluegrass type of song? I'm not. Ask me that again. Uh, How. Um, how did you approach improvising? If you know that you're playing uh, just, My Little Georgia Rose or something like that. Just did it. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, sometimes you, I wouldn't know what I was going to do in, until I got up there and started doing it. Hmm. And then other things we, uh, uh, you know, I, if, if I'd worked hard on a break, I would always try to play it. And know. another thing they would do is they, if they would be in a song and they got to a point where it started going in, sounding like another song, mm -hmm. they would go off into that song. Okay. I'm trying to think. Do you remember what that was, Ben? Some of those. No, nothing specific. Um. Yeah. But yeah, we would. You know, we were just up there having fun. Yeah. And not worrying about making mistakes. And we we did make our share, but uh, I John don't know. with John Starling, he was famous for forgetting words. Oh, and instead of um, just kind of humming and going, you know, f uh, getting back on track in the song, he would just stop dead, and then they would have to start all over. Oh no, <laughs> um, Dudley, on the other hand, Dudley Connell, uh -huh. he's good at if he forgets the words, he. He somehow comes up with something to fill in. And ways of covering it up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Let's go back to what we had, we kind of referenced it before, your approach to maybe playing. So a lot of, especially that early seldom seen stuff, there were a lot of like spookier sounding songs and really gentle sounding songs that are not really normal for a bluegrass banjo player to know what to do with. Did I do anything with them? <laughs> <laughs> Some of them you did. Yeah, you you have a really good understated approach. You know, I'm sure there's a few songs we could think of. Um, is it, um, Muddy Waters, is that one of them? The Phil Rosenthal song? Mary Grabbed the Baby, The River's Rising. That's, that was always kind of spooky to me. Won't be back to start all Close what I felt before is gone. Mary, take the baby, rivers rising. Muddy waters taking back my home. Turn my back on what I've left below. 
even even something like the boy who was raised by the railroad line um one of paul crass is that one of his too and that was that was one of the few tunes that we did that my mother liked oh wow you finally got through to her (laughs) finally got through to her (laughs) Uh, raised by the railroad line because it's got a line in there about uh Flattening pennies flattening. on the railroad track. Oh, yeah, putting okay. putting coins on the railroad track. He's by the railroad line, and the big round penny that you lay on the rails and the wheels mash flat, and the glimpse of the ladies and the pictures of the men in the engineer's hats, and the brakeman waves from the red caboose. He's a part of the past and never quite turns loose. He's a part of a soul and the heart and the mind of the boy who's raised by the railroad line. They used to do, she used to do that when she was a little girl. Okay. Uh, Just finally something that she could relate to. She heard that, yeah, she could relate to that. Oh, that's cool. I'm trying to think of some of those spooky songs that y'all did. Spooky. Um, uh, what's the one about the train um, to last train from something to, county? Last train to Poor Valley. Yeah, something from like Poor that. Poor Valley. Oh, yeah. 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 Which is a wonderful song. It is. Now the soft new snows of December lightly fall by cabin saw the last train from Poor Valley. But, it, but it's not Foggy Mountain Breakdown. No, it's not. <laughs> well, by the time we did that, I mean, I think we'd all kind of gotten used to being not, you know, traditional, real hardcore, right. traditional music. Mm-hmm. Maybe y'all were picking songs or to, to, to make everyone happy, you know? Because yeah. at a festival, you get, you get some young people, not, not too many back in the day, but... You got a few young people, um, but you got a lot of older people that like that kind of mournful stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what they were used to listening to on the radio. But also for the younger people, is that perhaps the reason that you in- incorporated a lot more uh, like pop music and and that kind of repertoire to maybe try to get some of those fans? Or you're just playing what you liked? I think we were pretty much playing what... Not only that we could like, but that we could play. Uh, but they did. They did do a lot of James Taylor, Grateful Dead. Right. Um, so it kind of looks like that they were trying to please the younger crowd. But I don't know. But you guys kind of were the younger crowd in the in a way. You were, you in were a the, way. the next generation that was in coming up. Yeah. I've heard from a few younger banjo players, and particularly ones that have played with your son Chris that uh, they've kind of considered you as somewhat of a mentor to them. And I guess I'm thinking specifically of, I know I've heard that from Chris Pandolfi. And I'm just sort of wondering, uh, is that a role that you've taken on consciously to, to those younger players that you've been around? 
I, I don't think so. I'm not sure what you think. I don't know. They've 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 been here to Fredericksburg and mm-hmm. stayed with us. So, and I'm sure sitting around picking. Oh, yeah, we've ben sat around. Probably told them playing. a few things. Yeah. We, um, yeah, Gnome and um, Chris Bandolfi, both of those players. Great musicians. Yeah, yeah. No, they really look up to you as well. Um, in the new book, part of the introduction is a story from uh, Bela Fleck about how you called him to fill in on a gig for you. And the the moral of, of the story is he didn't realize how hard it was to be Ben yeah, Eldridge until he tried to do it, and he realized he couldn't do it. And uh, uh, That surprised me when I read it. I'm wondering what you think he meant by that or what you I'm think not, he may have had trouble with. I'm, I'm not sure. Um but I, I remember him telling me that on, on a couple of occasions that he, he had trouble. I think it was Mary grabbed the baby, rivers rising. Anyway, I, I did something kind of strange on that. And I, I don't remember what it was. Maybe it'll come to me. But it, I don't but know. I, maybe maybe Bela's just Bela's such a hot banjo player that when it comes to playing other people's music the way that they do to fill in for him. Maybe he just couldn't quite get that. Yeah. He told me practicing. he had trouble, had trouble with, with that when he first tried it. And I, I think I remember them calling me at home and telling him how I, how I did it. I, 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 maybe I could, I could be wrong on that, but... Yeah, there was another banjo player too that got lost one night that was filling in at the Birchmere for Ben. I forget what song they were doing that night, but they went to get out of the song and the song kept going. It's like they didn't know where to, <laughs> he couldn't he didn't know where to stop it. Yeah. So Bela's not the only one. <laughs> oh yeah. I bet. Yeah. A there's lot of that's been, there's harder been, than it sounds. There's only been a few banjo players that have filled in for him, but uh about three, four. Donnie Bryant. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Do you know who Donnie? You know Donnie? Yeah, very J.D. Crow uh, style player. Is that right? Kind of, but he's he's got his own own lick. Uh, mm-hmm. He played uh, he played banjo on the, the cut of Davy Crockett that Mac Wiseman did. Mm-hmm. And it's some really neat stuff. Okay, yeah. Really neat stuff. I'll check that out. Yeah, check it out. And a follow on his legend right into the west. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. But we see him. I don't know, once every two years or so, whenever yeah. we get it. He lives out in Colorado Springs. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Has a room full of banjos. Of course. He's about Ben's age, so they... He's older than I am. He's a little older, yeah. <laughs> but um, they talk a lot on the phone. Oh, cool. But he's from this area, so he gets back here every now and then or something? Or Yeah, he used to live in D.C. He okay. worked for the uh, he was a police DC department cop. years he was a- ago. Thank goodness he got out when he did. Yeah, right. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be there now. But, um, yeah, he's a retired policeman uh-huh. and spent years with Mac Wiseman. Yeah. Loved Mac Wiseman. He went to went to his funeral. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Went to visit Mac before he died. Was real close to him. Interesting. Yeah. Don, Donnie's a really good player. Good, great player. Good guitar player, too. I'll, I also uh, usually post on Facebook. I, I announce who I'm going to interview and ask if they have some questions. So there's a few more questions from people. Someone's asking when you played with Cliff Waldron and the New Shaded New Shades of Grass, and I guess this is kind of related to the the seldom scene too. There was a lot of songs that came from lots of different genres. How did playing those different genres of music affect your approach to playing? I don't care what's right or wrong. I won't try to understand. Let the devil take tomorrow Cause tonight I need a friend Yesterday is dead and gone And tomorrow's out of sight And it's sad to be alone Help me make it through the night Cliff did a lot of, uh, well, he did a mixture of, of hardcore bluegrass mm-hmm. and uh, not necessarily, you know, bluegrass recordings, but. Some of it like, was folk music, I think. Like Pri- Proud Mary, you know. Sure. It makes a great, fun, you know, thing to do. Yeah. With the banjo. You know. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> so, anyway, I think we already sort of covered this, but I'll just ask it again. What's your approach to not playing the banjo, whether it's for like a measure or a couple of lines, and this person thinks you use silence really effectively? Is that something you've thought about? Not really. It's, it either, you know, it, sometimes it, ha- it happens. If you're doing just a closer walk with E, you don't want to be throwing a lot of hot licks in. Yeah. Just use your own, you know, your own good judgment is when to play and when not to play. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I ever had any really hard and fast rules to that. Just what, what felt right or what felt good, I would do, you know, and if, I couldn't think of anything that I thought was appropriate, I wouldn't play at all. Yeah, and that seemed to be effective. The the great, uh, I assume you know who Mike Bubb is. Based the, oh, player. sure. Bass oh, Mike Bubb, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's asked for you to recite your three favorite limericks. Nope. He can't do <laughs> no? those. Okay. I don't think he could. No, they're all They're, all they're a gross. little off color. I don't, <laughs> think okay. want, I don't think you'd want him to do that. Okay. I yeah, mean, no. it's, it's not going to offend he mess, me. He's messing with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought he was messing with me. Uh, yeah, well, that, well, Maybe that got too. both of us. <laughs> All right, he, you he win, has, Mike. He has a bunch of those I, 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 I limericks, the ones you used to sing up at the lake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you wouldn't want you wouldn't. Okay. We don't know any of those that we could do for you. <laughs> no problem. No, they're, they're pretty real. I understand. Pretty rough. (laughs) Uh, This next question, uh, there's another person who's a real big fan of your playing on the California Autumn album, which of course is a a Tony Rice album for anyone who doesn't know. 
did they just want you to talk about that album and how you became involved in that project? Well, I, I really don't remember much about making it, making the album. Um, I, I do know it was a lot of fun to do. Mm -hmm. I think, did we do, you don't know my mind on there? I thought I played some neat stuff on, on one of those records. Um, I guess following up on that, if there was somebody who, who isn't aware of your playing and they just wanted to, to check into it, is there a particular album or recording that you think best represents your playing or that you're most proud of? That one, I always like. Uh, that's one I can listen to, the one you just... We, California. Talking California. 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 Tony Rice? Yeah. But maybe one of the seldom seen albums. Which one of those would you pick? Well, I don't they know. They were all good. That's, yeah. That would be hard to do, but... No, I can't. I don't know. I can't. Cellar Door was always a good Cellar one. Cellar Door has, tends to have a special place for a lot of people, yeah, I think. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then on the other end, so that's the stuff that you're most proud of. I'm wondering, is there anything about your playing that you always wished that you could be better at or that frustrated you about hearing yourself play? Can't I honestly can't think of anything right off the top of my head. Well, that's a good thing then. But uh, <laughs> well, doesn't mean if it, all of a sudden I'll have a... It could have, it could have been when watching the younger uh, players coming along, you know, mm -hmm. it's like a little racehorse thing where you... Where I remember Mike Aldridge used to get freaky when about Jerry Douglas. Oh, of course. Jerry Douglas, this young whippersnapper, could do all this hot and uh, heavy music. You know, Mike was known for the the slow, more slower, prettier stuff. Yeah. But Jerry was doing this real, fast, real flashy. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there were some banjo players like that that you were maybe wishing you could play a little bit like. I don't know. On oh, hot of, stuff. Some of the younger Pandolfi, I like. Mm -hmm. Chris Pandolfi. Oh, he's one of my favorites too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like I like Chris's playing a lot. But um, it, I mean, it seemed like you must must have been pretty secure in your own playing. I can imagine if I was in a position to hire Bela Fleck to fill in for me at a gig, I'd be pretty paranoid about <laughs> having people listen to him play. And then when I get back there, they're going to be disappointed that I'm not <laughs> yeah. as good as that guy. But it, it seems like you were okay with that and yeah. didn't feel threatened by it at all. I might have felt threatened, but I didn't let that, let that stop. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your instrument. Your your primary instrument for most of your career was Harvey. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Now, what? Uh, and I, where's Harvey? Well, I guess that that would be one question. Okay. Harvey belongs to Chris's mom, 
mm-hmm. which used to be my banjo. Mm-hmm. And she's a, she's, a, she's a very good banjo she's picker. A, she's, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, she's a And fiddle a good player. She, she's, last time we saw her, she was trying to learn some fiddle, and it sounded pretty good. Actually doing it pretty well? Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. She's an amazing gal, I think, don't you? Yeah. Well, I know that Wes Corbett had a hold of it for a short bit of time, and he was enjoying playing it for a little bit. Uh, last um, time I played it was down in, down in Florida on, on the front porch of Muggies, and it was sounding great. Wow. It was just kicking butt. Yeah. It's been, you know, it's had some work done to it. It's changed, of course. It's a good oh. banjo. It's a really good banjo. Now, is that the banjo that if, if people go online and, and listen to some Seldom Scene or California Autumn, is that what they're hearing on all of that? Are they hearing Harvey? Uh, I'm trying to think of California Autumn. I think, I think that was Harvey, probably, yeah. For those who aren't familiar and maybe haven't read about it in the book, what, what we keep calling it Harvey, but what, what is it that we're talking about? What kind of banjo? and, and... style six. Mm-hmm. And that's that's about all I remember about it. It's uh, it it start, started life out, out as a tenor banjo, mm-hmm. and by the time I got it, you know, it had gone through a conversion right. into a five string. Yeah, but yeah, I used that on a lot of recordings. It's a good sounding banjo. Was there something about the sound that you that caused you to? have a bond with it and, and use that for most of your career? I, I just, it sounded real good to me. I mean, I just liked the way it sounded. Mm-hmm. And it sounds even better now than it did when I had it. Wow. Last time I, last time I played it was on the, on the front porch at Muggy's. Down in Florida. Down in Florida, yeah. And how long ago would that have been? Oh, man, 10 years. Something. Longer than that, probably. Probably, I don't know, could be, Close to twenty years. Wow. Anyway, yeah. The last time just keeps Chris, getting better and better, though. Chris huh? and I was were playing. Just he did. Just the two of us were sitting on a couch, picking down in Florida at his grandma's house. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it really is. Was there anything else in terms of of gear that you really loved and that were important to you, such as types of finger picks or types of. Uh, Bridges or anything like that? Is there anything else that you were a big fan of? I can't right off the, right off the, of the bat. I can't think of. What anything. about Snuffy Bridges? Didn't you? Oh, like that's those? right. I, well, I did did like Snuffy Snuffy Smith Bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Bob. That's, You're that's welcome. <laughs> and and what kind of picks did you use? Nationals, I think. Does that, sound, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, sure does. Do they still make those? Yeah, you know, of of course, as with everything, there's the people who insist, and they're probably right. I don't have any reason to doubt them that the the old nationals are the good ones, and the ones that they're making now are not the same. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, people and collectors who who look for the okay. the old ones, and you know they of course, cost a lot more money when you can find them. Yeah, it's maybe um, they changed the metal in them or something. Yeah, and I think probably even the company itself probably isn't owned or operated by the same, you know, mm-hmm. just like everything. <laughs> yeah. There was, a, there was a guy from Richmond, Virginia, that made really good thumb, uh, fit, not thumb, but finger picks, but I can't remember his name. I think you're probably talking about Dean Hoffmeyer. Um, I think... 
Yeah, that's right. He, yeah, he's he's uh, he's also kind of a historian on the national finger picks too. Yeah. He has a all these charts and photographs online. I, I liked his picks. Have you ever used them? Yeah, I do. I, I have yeah. used them. They're very yeah, very comfortable, good sounding. Yeah, yeah, but those those picks we just mentioned are, are really good. Yeah, they're, I think that's what I was using when I when I stopped. Yeah, yeah, they're among the you know, the highest they're, quality ones really that are out good. there. All right, Ben, well, it's been an honor meeting you. I really appreciate you, the hospitality and having me over. And definitely oh. thanks to Barb, too, for, oh. for filling in some of the, the gaps and, and helping me out here. Yeah. It's been a pleasure having you here. Yeah. Great to have you. That's going to do it for this interview and this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. You heard a whole bunch of song clips in this episode. They were Rider by The Seldom Scene, The Crazy Banjo Medley by Hack Johnson and the Tennesseans, Looking for Henry Lee by the Carter Sisters with Mother Maybell, Longfellow's Excelsior Hornpipe by Alan Mundy, a bunch of Seldom Scene songs, including Grandfather's Clock, Hit Parade of Love, Muddy Waters, Raised by the Railroad Line, and Last Train from Poor Valley, uh, The Ballad of Davy Crockett by Mac Wiseman, Help Me Make It Through the Night by Cliff Waldron and the New Shades of Grass. And then finally, You Don't Know My Mind by Tony Rice. Thank you once again to today's VIP supporters of the show. That's Reeve Thompson and Andrew Ott. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter yourself or email the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you once again for tuning in. I'll see you all next time. I'm just talking to myself here. Yeah.